Hi, everybody. It is Tech Chat Tuesday for Tuesday, March 9th, 2021. I'm Ken Rempel. I'm Sujan Tapadia. And we're here to talk about different tech things we're interested in this week. Um, up front, I want to make sure that people are aware of our YouTube channel. If you go to youtube.com slash chariot solutions, uh, you'll see all of our playlists. We are a Tech Chat Tuesdays playlist there. So if you want to, you know, watch our shows later, go back and reminisce about one you really like, I guess. Um, they are available to you there. Also, we have as uh, a National Women's Week, and uh, yesterday was the uh, National Women's Day, uh, there is a playlist here, uh, which is Spotlight Our Amazing Women Speakers. This is from all of our different events. Um, and so, you know, we have talks going back from every ETE we've done, different other events. It's really, really good. So you can see all the people that we've worked with over the years. If someone has watched all... I would say either all the ET videos, which is a gargantuan task, but if someone even watched all of these tech casts that we're doing, let us know. It'd be kind of cool to get a list of those names and we can give everyone a shout out who's on that list. Oh, that's a good idea. It's a really good idea. Cool. And you can do that through our at TechCast uh, Twitter user, or you can email us at techcastfeedback at chariotsolutions.com. Great idea, Sujan. I'm using a new feature of Chrome uh, that just dropped in, I guess, Chrome whatever, uh, <laughs> the current version. Uh, it's the tab groups. And so uh, you can actually on any tabs, let's, I'll go browsing here for a second. Like I'll just go to, um, you know, BBC News or something like that. Who cares what it is? Uh, and then you can right click on it and do uh, add tab to group, new group, news. And all of a sudden, you have a collapsible group of tabs. So did you say you were using that for a mobile app, right? Your yeah, I use it on uh, Android uh, Chrome. And it's super useful because you know, you're on the phone. You're kind of randomly walking through the web. And you're like, hit this, and then this. And so you just, like, just keep the thread of related things together. Yep. So it makes, it makes surfing, for me at least, and, and researching like, a lot more organized. Yeah, the fact that it's like built into Chrome now, you don't have to go searching for an extension, which is yep. really nice. So, all right, so yeah, youtube.com slash chariot solutions. That's one. Uh, also, want to bring up our events here. So, we've got two events coming up. Uh, first, let me go to the one that's coming up uh, next week uh, on the uh, 17th, 18th, 18th. Uh, should know that off the top of my head because I'm going to be doing this event. <laughs> oh, wrong one. Let me go back. 30 years of Linux and open source. Thank you. That is on the 18th. Uh, and so, we have uh, two talks starting at 3.15 p.m. on the 18th. It's a free event. Uh, the first talk is going to be Aaron Mulder and myself talking about Chariot's uh, work over the years using open source and, you know, from, you know, using it, finding it, uh, supporting applications written in it to even participating in different open source type of forums and such. Uh, and so that starts it. And then after that, we're going to have Nithya Ruff, who's the executive director of open source at Comcast. And she's also the chair of the Linux Foundation's board of directors. Uh, so she works with open source uh, contributors all the time. And so we'll get a feel for her of like where it had, has been in terms of stewardship and where it's heading uh, and some things that are, that are that happen at that level that might be interesting to people. So that's coming up on March 18th. Again, it's a free event, 3.15 p.m. Uh, nice kind of cl close to end of your day. You can kind of end your day with us. We'll also have a happy hour afterwards online to, to talk about. It's all on Zoom. Uh, and so we'll be able to to chat with each other at the end. So we hope you join us. Uh, Tracy has an executive town hall session, uh, leadership strategies to drive innovation with uh, Dita Schmidt, who is the CEO of Humio. Uh, and so she'll be talking about, uh, you know, different topics here. So 
maintain a culture and, un and unity with a diverse workforce, changes in the marketplace and how they're impacting business leaders. So kind of a business level talk for people in tech. Uh, and that might be interesting for you. So if it is, that's coming up on March 10th, which is tomorrow. So hey, sign up, uh, 11 a.m. And so that's, a, I think, a one-hour event. Also want to mention that uh, our Emerging Technologies of the Enterprise Conference, we're definitely cooking here. Um, nope, wrong year. Hey, do you want to go to last year's event? <laughs> uh, phillyemergingtech.com, I typed in 2020 by accident, but it's May 4th to 6th. I got panicked when I saw April. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> 2020 is behind us now. <laughs> right. Let's move on to 2021. So May 4th to 6th of 2021 this year. Uh, and again, we're still uh, adding a few speakers, but uh, great lineup. Uh, it's $89, I believe, are the tickets uh, and uh, great speakers. So we have Alan Kay, the person who uh, helped invent personal computing by writing the first graphical user interface. Steve Jobs saw that and uh, at Xerox Park and ended up uh, creating the Apple Macintosh from that uh, event or the lease, I think, first. Uh, so he really kind of sparked that whole thing. He also uh, helped build the first object-oriented programming language. So Alan Kay is an amazing speaker. Uh, we can't wait to have him. And he's a, one of our featured keynotes. If, if you're on the fence about uh, registering, you know, just check out some of the past talks um, from previous years that Ken referenced earlier on our YouTube channel. And I think you'll be pretty happy with the quality. Yeah. You know, we get into things like we have Ken Beck coming, author of Extreme Programming. Uh, we've got... Jessica Kerr coming back again, a great speaker. Angie Jones, who's a developer advocate for Apple Tools. We've got Daniel Spiewak again, uh, talking about, uh, what is he talking about? I'm curious. Oh, Usually it is, tends to be Scala functional right. programming. Yeah, he's always a good speaker. Brian Getz, the Oracle language architect. David Nolan from ClojureScript. Just some great people. Nithya is also speaking. Uh, and you know, we keep adding people to this uh, in the next couple of weeks. So check back, uh, but you might want to register soon uh, because we got a really good uh, set of speakers here. Uh, grab your spot. Okay, cool. So, uh, and that's it. So let's get into our news items then. Let me close out the cherry one. Um, okay, so what's this one? We've got a, a, a Wi-Fi signals machine learning to predict where you are. Yeah, so <laughs> pretty cool. So it, it involves, uh, basically using your Wi-Fi router and the signal coming from your Wi-Fi router. And there's a couple of third-party dependencies it uses to be able to uh, get that and process that, that data. But it's using that and training it with known locations in your house. So like, let's say in your living room, then you can kind of run um, the software saying, I'm in my living room right now, and then go to your bedroom, go to your kitchen, um, train it that way. Um, and then it basically trains a machine learning model. I didn't look into the details of, of what kind of machine learning model it is, what exactly it's doing. Um, but once you've done that, you can just kind of use that in your house and say, hey, where am I? And it will tell you or try to you know infer based off of the signal and, and whatever qualities of that it's using to determine where in the house you are. So I just thought it's pretty neat that you could use something like a Wi-Fi signal in machine learning to try to get that kind of information. Wow, that's really cool. And it's Python-based. So any fun with that. And that's a GitHub, uh, and Pi, where am I? So I guess in a larger context, right, if you're in an office building with access points all over the place, um, it'd be interesting to try this out to see how accurate it is within an office complex. Yeah, yeah, very cool. 
if you are on any Apple device, uh, update. <laughs> so 14.4.1 uh, uh, of iOS uh, and iPadOS uh, has been, uh, it's there to patch a memory corruption issue. Uh, and so it's a, there's a zero day, I guess, a threat where people can take control of your computer. Uh, to elevate privileges and achieve remote code execution. And this is on The Hacker News, which is, I guess, a news website. It's not Hacker News, but The Hacker News. Um, and there's actually, uh, it looks like right after uh, the three zero-day vulnerabilities we just had, um, this one is yet another one. So you're going to see an update. Go ahead and apply it. Also, there's a, a, an update for uh, OS X for your Safari browser as well. Uh, so, you know, just keep in mind that's something you might want to pay attention to. Uh, because people are hacking these things and finding these vulnerabilities all the time. So just keep your browsers patched. One other thing I wanted to bring up that I thought was kind of cool was uh, the Microsoft uh, conference last week. They announced something called Microsoft Mesh. Uh, this is like, you know, holodeck mixed reality kind of stuff. So I guess if you're holding a HoloLens and wearing it or you're using a phone that can support this kind of thing um, in the future uh, and I guess relatively soon, you'll be able to see kind of like imagined things that are showing up where you can kind of talk to a doctor in virtual space or you can take a look at plans for things. So it's a, it's a mixed reality system, it looks like, that uh, they're, they're supporting. Uh, I, I get chills when I see that tagline at the top here. It can be anywhere. It's very, uh, I don't know, it just it seems very Black Mirror-ish. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Microsoft. Uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it seems really wild. Um, you know, so for example, this is like very Black Mirror-ish kind of thing here. Yeah. Um, engage with eye contact, facial expression, and gestures. Um, you can it, go different places. So the, have you played any VR games? Have you actually played any like... I, I've played a few, and I mean, I, I'm floored by how good they are and how much better they keep getting every year. And um, I, I think the educational aspects of it are, are like amazing with being able to visit other cities and museums virtually. It's really cool. This train together anywhere is blowing my mind. <laughs> it's like, you know, so the person has like a virtual avatar and is talking, and then the other person has their lens on and they're looking. And so I guess when you have these devices, you can really start, you know, using them in a way you can interact with things like this, which is really cool. So something to look at is more and more of this technology is coming out, but Mesh is the one that they're talking about right now. And I it's guess funny. today, today uh, nothing to do with VR, but just kind of how, how far we've come with technology. I was driving to work. Um, I don't come to the office that often, but I do come um, for doing the tech chat. And yeah. there was a, a surveyor or someone in construction you know, with an iPad, and there was a drone flying above someone's home, and they were probably doing an aerial survey of, of, of it. And that's just normal now. But as I was driving by, I'm like, I never would have imagined this as a kid. There's a guy with a tablet controlling a drone looking at a house. It's just very surreal when you put all those pieces together and think about it. It's wild. The stuff people do today with tech is just crazy. Um, all these wireless devices everywhere. And very cool. So, yeah, apparently HoloLens, and they said uh, mobile phones, tablets, or PCs using any mesh-enabled app. So it's an API platform. Is there a beta program to join or, like, get <laughs> hardware for cheap or free? Uh, we should out? find out. Mm -hmm. You can get news from them, but I'm sure if you're – oh, here we go. Join the Mixed Reality Developer Program. Uh -huh. so, yes, there apparently yeah. is. We should get on that and take a look at it. All right. Um, here's another, like, you know, cool futuristic thing that's actually happening today. Remember we talked about the, uh, the, the Mars landing. That mission control software is written in Vue.js. 
uh, and I probably know backend. I'm not sure exactly. And it's open source. It's called NASA's Open MCT, uh, which is their mission control technologies. So if you want to see how they built that, it looks like they're not using TypeScript. They're using JavaScript. Uh, so like if you grab any one of these things, you'll see, like, of course, I'm going to always fail when I do this. But, uh, you know, things are in plain old JavaScript. They're not in TypeScript. Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, using Vue. So interesting to kind of pull that apart yeah. and take a look at it. I'm actually really – I'll have to take a look at that. I'm really interested in seeing um, – I know NASA is really known for, you know, really good testing practices. I'm curious to see what their unit testing things look like. Yeah, they definitely have specs in here. Um, that's a small spec. <laughs> um, I did get a little sad when I saw in the MCT spec, was it? One of them, it started with an X describe, which was disabled. I'm like, oh no. But uh, this one here, uh, like for example, is some specs running things, okay. taking off features. And they seem to be using specs all the way through the app. So it should be interesting to see. Nice. Yep. All right. Do it. Do it, Sujan. Yes. Yeah, so I don't know if it's Dolt or Do It. Is it an L or an I? I thought it was an L Dolt Hub. It might be Dolt. Dolt. I um, like Do It better, but yeah, it's Dolt. <laughs> uh, so pretty cool. This is a uh, Git for Data, and it heavily relies on another another third party dependency. I think it's called Nom. But basically, it's a MySQL database that you can treat as Git. So you can like clone it. You can fork it. Um, you can do you know. Uh, D DDL and DML statements, and they're all you can commit them. So it, it captures changes to your database as oh. change sets that you can commit, that you can share with others, and they can fork from it. They can merge back into it. When you've made changes, you can actually look at the changes between commits, and it shows what data has changed um, from commit to commit. So it's basically saying here, take it, take it. You know, you get the structured relational database instead of just sharing like CSV files or things like that in source control getting like a database to hack around with that can be shared and version controlled itself, um, which I think could be pretty cool for people that like really need to just quickly bootstrap something or scientists or data engineers that need to start with a known data set um, and not have to like cobble together files. Like they can start with an RDB mess right off the bat. It's pretty, pretty neat. Especially being able to diff different versions of it to see like, yeah. what change between the, the one I have versus the commit. Yeah, like I could see this being deep data for your application. Exactly, I can see this being pretty useful for like workshops or training or anything. It'd be pretty cool. How do you think this compares to something like uh, some of the migrations tools we've used? Is it? Um, yeah, that's a good question. So I, I wouldn't. Actually, I'm not sure I would compare like something like Flyway right. um, or Liquibase to this. To me, this is more about sharing data and less about capturing migrations or applying mm -hmm. migrations. But it just it allows someone to share a database that has history attached to it so you can know how things happened and then kind of uh, do your own thing, maybe make a pull request back or things like that. So I, I didn't see any reference to pull request here, but there was forking and merging and branching. So you could essentially do the same model. That's really wild. Definitely something to check out. Yeah. Nice. Oh, and uh, I guess I should mention what they've been using it for is they've been using it to clone data sets around COVID, um, ima image, data for machine learning, word data for, you know, text classification, machine learning, um, et cetera, things like that. So I think the idea is like, hey, take a lot of these open data sets and put them in a database and then have at it. Very cool. And that's at github.com slash dolt hub slash dolt. Very nice. Okay, let's see here. Um, I figured I'd throw this one in here. Excel never dies. We know this. 
we know this in tech because once I started working in an office that had Excel, you'd always get the business person would come up and say, well, it works in Excel. Turn this giant Excel spreadsheet with tons of macros into a front end, <laughs> into a back end and a front end. And like you're teasing apart macros and formulas and links and crazy stuff. But uh, apparently it doesn't die because it is still cooking strong out there. Um, I think this is the actual, here it is, Excel never dies. Yes, they need um, like uh, Newton laws of motion for Excel, like data in Excel will stay in Excel. <laughs> that's right. An, uh, an action Excel will have an equal yeah. opposite reaction to close the laptop and just say, can I take this out of Excel? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I mean, some of the things that have been happening is, I mean, Excel has, there's so much code living in Excel for so many business type people. And I think it's because business people, especially numbers people think in terms of spreadsheets of data, they think in terms of rows and columns of data. And, and so they wire together things that they have formulas pre-written for them that take, you know, net present values. And that's a really simple example, but like calculating forecasted values of things and such. Um, if they're already written for them, they can take advantage of these recipes and just use these functions. But one of the things that's happened recently, and I think we mentioned this on the show a while back, is that uh, they've launched Lambda for Excel, which means you can write, eventually, I get to this, there we go. Uh, you can write your own functions uh, and apply them. So now, technically speaking, Excel is Turing complete, which means you can do all the things that Turing complete language can do. Um, and that's interesting and terrifying all at once to me. Yeah, and not only that, um, there's another thing that was uh, either announced or updated uh, Ignite last week called Microsoft Power Apps, which is their low-code um, way of building apps. Low-code meaning you're not really writing um, application code, right, like Java or C++ or C Sharp, things like that, Python. You're writing scriptlets or you're, you're writing rules to declaratively connect, like, form fields, et cetera, to data sources. Um, it feels like AppleScript almost or, like, the automator. Right. Like yeah. Google has something similar. I forget what it's called. Um, yeah. uh, but anyway, so a lot of the functions that are available in Excel are available in Power Apps. And they're trying to reach parity there. As, as new things are introduced in Excel, gets introduced in Power Apps. So people that are used to, you know, kind of interacting with spreadsheets for most of their workday would be a natural transition for them to start building apps with uh, Power Apps. So it'd be interesting to see where that goes and how useful it is. But the idea that you're taking people that, are Excel developers or Excel spreadsheet users and giving them the power to build small applications is uh, it's definitely intriguing. It's kind of like, a, in a way, data scientists getting that kind of yeah. power. And you'll still need programmers to really optimize a path or something that's like high volume, uh, but they can give you a good start at what they want. They can envision something by using these tools yeah. too, which is great. Or maybe they work just fine enough for them. Um, so very interesting, yeah. Um, huh. Boy, not excessive graph of some of the companies built to pick off pieces of Excel for specific verticals. <laughs> so apparently, half a trillion dollars worth of market cap in that chart. Yikes. Okay. All right. Let's see. We have some other things in here. Um, here's a good one. Uh, Alan McDonald. Re uh, now, I remember the Challenger launch. Were you old enough to remember the I, Challenger Yeah, launch? so we saw it in school and saw it happen, mm -hmm. and then the teacher immediately turned off the TV when, when that occurred, which yeah, something else. Yeah, I'll, never, I'll never forget that day. Yeah. It was something else. Um, but there was one person that basically said, no, don't launch the challenger. Yeah. So let's so talk the, about Alan McDonald. So the person, Alan McDonald, um, he, he was working at the time for, um, what's the name of the company? 
Yeah, more uh, yeah, more, more methodical. And he essentially had been saying up to the day of the launch, like, please don't launch, please don't launch, please don't launch. I do not approve of this. There's a number of corners being cut. The temperatures are too low for the O-rings, et cetera. So, you know, for those that don't know, Space Shuttle Challenger, um, what year? 1986. Yeah. Uh, basically, what happened was uh, the O-rings were never tested in extreme cold. And on the morning of the launch, the cold rubber became stiff, failing to fully seal the joint, which led to an explosion, a leakage and an explosion. So um, Alan McDonald had predicted something like that and essentially said these things are outside of their tolerance levels for temperature, and I'm not going to approve it. And he got pressure from management to approve it. He got pressure from NASA. NASA put pressure on uh, Morton Thiokol to, to approve it, and so they did. But he he held held his uh, you know held his guns and said no, I'm not going to do it. So uh, I think this is one. Listen to your engineers. Don't yeah. cut corners. Systems are complex. There's a lot of different in interrelated pieces. So um, it's not just a sum of all the. It is a sum of all the parts, but it, that's very complicated. So I think this is a case where it's like a kind of a perfect storm of different things happening and different managerial and processes that broke down to allow this to happen. So I would recommend anyone please read this um, and then like, you know, research your own on the Ch Challenger space shuttle and the history around that and the investigation done afterwards that Richard Feynman was part of too. Yeah. They had pressured him to also kind of, you know, he told them up front, like, I'm, you guys are going to have to do what I tell you to do or my recommendations and let me say whatever I want to say. Otherwise, I'm not going to be part of this investigation. He was an indomitable person. You could not yeah. tell Richard Feynman what to do. Yeah. He would find the facts. And I remember him doing a demo. I don't know if he dipped it in liquid nitrogen or probably not, but like cold. And they showed that, that you could just disintegrate an O-ring material. Um, it, like it was, I think it was a press event or maybe it was like a congressional hearing, but he was not going to be cowed. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, this poor guy really was tortured through this thing and he was right. You know? Yeah. So and uh, Scott Detrow did this, I guess, on NPR. Um, so he had he had a really good interview, and there's an archive recording of an interview with McDonald. So definitely something to check out. This is a great one. Thank yeah. you. And then he got, eventually he got. I think the other interesting thing is like um, Congress and others. You know, once they found out about this, that he was pressured after he did the right thing, they basically you know slapped the wrist NASA and Morton Vehicle and supported um, Allen, and then he eventually got promoted up. And to mm -hmm. redesign the O-rings and things like that. So I, I guess the story ended well. I'm surprised he stuck around at Morton Thiokol after all that. But uh, I guess he he felt like he you know it was a higher duty to solve this problem and correct it so it doesn't happen again. So you know hats off to him. Good person, definitely a good person. One of the greats. All right, what do we have here? How to automatically connect Jira tickets to Google Sheets. So what I found interesting about this is not really the fact that you're connecting Jira to Google Sheets, although um, so the tool underneath here called Reshuffle um, is a basically like IFFT for developers. Um, it's JavaScript node based, and you're essentially able to connect different APIs together, like you know Google Sheets and uh, Jira, Twilio, and Slack, or you know. So in code, you're basically there's a bunch of connectors, um, and I and I have a link to the uh, GitHub project that has uh, all the repos for all the different connectors that are currently available and you can write your own and extend it um so essentially it's you know you configure how you want to uh retrieve data from something and push it to something else um so it does all the heavy lifting for you with the existing connectors and you're just 
providing the authentication credentials and the criteria for what data you want, what you're interested in, and how you want to get it. Um, now it does basic polling, so you can control like the polling period. That's how it retrieves data and, and checks for changes. So I haven't played around with this to see like you know security issues or performance issues and things like that. But um, I think if you need to quickly connect a couple different services, this is a quick quick way to hack something together for like you know local developer tools for your team. That's a great Swiss Army knife to have. Yeah, cool. and I guess the nice thing about this one specifically is. A lot of times someone doesn't want to go into JIRA or doesn't have access to JIRA, right? Um, they just want to see like, what are all the tickets in this release or all the tickets in the current status? In Like an executive is not going to log into JIRA, but they may want to have an Excel spreadsheet that gives them like a roll up of all the different statuses. So it'd be kind of cool to use this to generate that. Very cool. All right. So the tool is called Reshuffle. And yeah. this is an article from the DZM by Alan Moore. Awesome. By the way, we'll have a link to all these uh, articles in the show notes uh, on the YouTube channel, uh, as well as our post on Chariot Solutions. So uh, if you need to get to these links, you can certainly do so, and we encourage that. So, And if you use this tool, let us know at techcastfeedback yeah. at chariotsolutions.com or at our at techcast Twitter feed. All right. And now this is another interesting thing on DZone. So Brendan Loveless wrote an article, Adding IoT to My Home Office Desk. Yeah, this is insane. So <laughs> for my poor daughter, I was reading this as she was waking up, um, researching links for the show. And then I went through this whole article with her. I was so amazed. I'm like, I'm going to talk to you about it um, oh, cool. as, she, right. as, she was, as she was half awake. Um, anyway, this person started, I, I've never seen a desk like this. So the, I guess they, they've had standing desks that move up and down for quite some time. There's apparently ones with hand cranks, which I did not know about. Yeah. He had an older desk with a hand crank, and what he basically wanted to do is get rid of the hand crank and automate it. So oh, okay. uh, he went through the process of one uh, figure. He, he had a, a, a dual shaft motor, and he basically put it in the the rod that, that the crank would turn and used a rubber belt. First experiment figured out, okay, that's not going to work. The motor wasn't powerful enough, and it just chewed through the rubber belt and didn't actually move yeah, anything. Yeah, it ripped it apart, yeah. <laughs> So then he's like, okay, clearly it's not powerful enough. So he had to research what torque is and lever arms and, and figure out what kind of motor would I need. So what he did was he took a milk bottle, a milk jug, filled it with water or whatever, tied it to the hand crank, um, filled it up enough until it started turning the hand crank. Then he takes a, the full bottle and, and turns the hand crank back to the top position and ties the jug and sees, like, is there enough weight for it to move? And found out that, okay, four pounds was enough to move it. And he used an online calculator to take the length of the lever arm and that the poundage to uh, figure out what torque motor he'd need. Then he ordered a motor that has the right torque, um, and then uh, ordered two of them, cut up the rod to put these two motors in. And this is going to take a minute to explain, but it's really, really freaking yeah. cool. Um, and this guy had never done any of these things before, so everything was a new, bold experiment for him. So he cuts the rod, puts the two motors on, gets it working. But it's so extremely slow. He says, like, from standing to all the way down or all the way down to standing all the way up, he goes, I could go to the bathroom and, like, get a coffee and come back, and it would still be doing it. That's how slow it was. And that won't do. So He's like, the next thing I learned is, like, hey, torque is only one part of it. There's a thing called RPM. <laughs> so he's like, I need, a, I need a motor that has a higher RPM. So then he found a, a motor that has a higher RPM, ordered it, um, and it took, like, a month to come from China. But it wasn't a dual shaft motor, so he needed a 90 degree one-to-one -one gearbox so he could, you know, rotate the 
you know, change the force 90 degrees. So mm-hmm. got the gearbox on this new motor, gets it working, it's running at a good speed. So now that the, that the, the ability to move the desk up and down has been solved, which is really cool just reading up to that point. Afterward, right. like I want to control this for Bluetooth. So he initially started with a Nordic Thingy 52 and then switched to an ESP32, um, yep. which folks at Chariot like Don Coleman have a lot of experience on both of those oh, yeah. um, system on a chips. So took that and he built a Bluetooth service with the characteristics um, using his phone and that and coded the firmware Arduino based uh, to be able to control the desk through his phone. So basically the end, end of all of this, you know, he's got, a, a, he learned physics. He learned how to cut things and put motors on them and get that all working. Then he figured out how to add uh, IoT to it. And he learned Bluetooth and MQTT and built an app to do all this to control the desk. And oh, the other really cool thing is he wanted to be able to say like, I want the desk to be at this height or that height. Well, the way to do that is he used a, it's called a time of flight LiDAR sensor. It's like 40 bucks on ParkFun or something. Basically, it's not true LiDAR. It's not using a laser, but it uses infrared light. And from 10 centimeters to probably like 12 meters is the range. It bounces light off and then it, you know, determines how long it takes for that light to come back. And by that, it determines the distance. So it uses a time of flight sensor to figure out height of the desk so he can actually set the height and control it through the app. Just amazing that the person did all of this and stuck through it and got it working. And I mean, that, uh, yeah. Then, this I see right here. then my wife said something would change everything. What if you could control it with your voice? <laughs> There's UX for you. Yeah. We, we hired him. Um, yeah, I swear. This is like the culmination of, I think, a, a lot of different things. Hey, while we're at it, if you're that guy and you want to work for Chariot, <laughs> can we interview you? Like, we'd love to chat with you. Right. What is our, we should know this. Uh, what doesn't matter. If you go to chariotsolutions.com and go to, um, where is it? Now I can't find it. About. Julian Arte, our, our about page. Um, you can find it right there. But uh, we are hiring. So we're looking for good tech talent. I, I, that is not an honest segue. I just figured that out. I'm like, oh, I could do the segue to that now. Um, but yeah, so we are hiring. And so if you go to chariotsolutions.com, you click our about page, there's a careers page. That's what I was looking for. And you can look at our open positions. And if you're that guy and you write yeah. code and you're that smart, please, that kind of yeah. person, we love. Okay out-of-the-box thinking, resourceful, yeah. is, is willing to roll up their sleeves and go across different types of tech and just make it work. That's consulting, awesome. right? Exactly. Consulting is that. You know, being a good consultant is being observant and creative and thinking about things and trying approaches. And, mm, yeah, cool, great stuff. I have another topic for us, uh, and this might crash and burn, but, hey, why not? I figured, you know, I don't have a lot of news this week, and I like talking about new tech things. Let me see if I can share my old desktop here and move things out of the way. I want to talk about publishing formats a little bit. I do a lot of teaching uh, and presentations. And one of the things I keep getting called on to do uh, is, you know, put together training materials. So let me just share my screen here. Uh, Get everything where I don't want it to go. Time for the coffee. Yeah, right. Excuse me. Bless you. That's how it's going to crash and burn. I'm having an allergy attack. Okay. So what I want to do here is I'm going to show my screen. Let me just unshare real quick. Share the whole screen. Hopefully this isn't too small. Uh, 
There we go. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, publication formats. So when you're writing material for training or for you know, presenting to people, um, you know, some people use Keynote or use PowerPoint or whatever and put together presentations through a tool. Um, programmers usually try to avoid doing that because we don't like using slow, heavyweight tools to do our development of content. Um, so we look for things like a markup language, like Markdown or something like that. Um, we look for things like slide deck uh, tools that will run content like Markdown through and generate slides so we don't have to edit HTML, which is the worst format to write anything in. It's like the worst markup language. So, um, so what I like to do is I like to try to put things in a markup tool. I started off my journey when I first did uh, a book. I did a book called uh, Spring Root in Action years ago uh, for Manning, and we were using something called Docbook. Newsflash, XML is not the best writing language either, so like I had to find a, a writing tool that could actually edit Docbook, and I could look at the WYSIWYG version of it so I wouldn't go crazy. Um, flash forward to when I was doing my own training, we used Markdown a lot, and Markdown's great. A lot of people use Markdown. GitHub naturally renders Markdown when you look at the project page, uh, so there's a way of visualizing it for people, and you know, Markdown's a pretty easy language to learn, et cetera. But it's limited in terms of things like code samples, like if you want to highlight entries in code samples, or you want to have like tips or callouts or nice looking tables, um, I think Markdown is kind of limited. So a while ago, um, I ran into ASCII doc, and more specifically, their ASCII doc itself was uh, a Ruby based processing tool and markup language for writing nice looking content. And so uh, at one point, Dan Allen, who we both know uh, from uh, originally JBoss and the Seam project, um, rewrote a lot of the tooling for ASCII doc, created a project called ASCII Doctor, which is a processor for ASCII doc language uh, that is, um, what is it, Java-based? I think it's Java-based. Um, but anyway, uh, so the tool, you install this tool and you can transform ASCII doc to different formats. It's similar although a little fussier than Markdown. Uh, let me just show you a little bit of code here. I'm gonna make this large. There's tooling for it. I'm using Visual Studio Code right now and there's a live preview uh, in Visual Studio uh, Code. Um, so you can kind of click on things and see content. And as you're modifying it, you know, you immediately see the change. So it's nice for... <laughs> So mean. You were planning that. Wake me up when this is over. Listen, buddy. Um, so anyway, so you know you can do this kind of stuff. My point being that if you were looking at it's so funny, if you were looking at writing content like a book, or and then writing a, like maybe you have a lab book, but then you also want to do slides, which is my world here. Um, you could use the same tool to do both. So uh, I have a little sample project that I'm going to share, and I'll I'll give the link to. Um, Rebecca, so she can put it up with the video. Um, this Explorer is nice. What's that? Like the ability, the ability to have this all in, in, I guess, in visual code or studio, right? Code and then being able to see your changes side by side. Pretty cool. Yep. And you can immediately like, run the build. And I think I've broken the build. We'll see. Uh, I might get lucky. So let's see. So here, I think I'm going to build. there are any errors all right so the book version of this if i'm running 
this thing through and generating an actual book document, it would mm -hmm. look something, that's not right, it would look like this. Oh yeah, right. It would look like, And by the way, you can completely skin this thing and make it look great. There's all sorts of templates for, for ASCII doc uh, PDF rendering. So this part of the project, ASCII doctor can render to HTML, it can render to text, it can render to whatever, and they have different projects. So there's, there's a project called ASCII doctor PDF. And that tool transforms to a markup. It does a table of contents automatically for it. If you want the table of contents, you can tell it how many levels deep to generate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can have it do uh, automatic code samples. This is the stuff that I really like. So when you're doing your code samples, you want them to have callouts maybe or bold the text or something. So you can use uh, this little syntax uh, to generate cue balls. Let me show what it looks like without the preview. So you have a listing uh, and the listing can have uh, a caption. So it starts with a dot. And then right below the caption, you tell it that it's a listing, which is this weird syntax. Mm -hmm. And you can tell it you have certain substitutions you're going to allow. So the quotes substitution setting will let you do things like bold things with stars, which is great. Um, also, if you use this angle bracket numbering scheme, and then below it you put, when this is closed, you put the actual annotations, mm -hmm. it will render cue balls for you automatically. So it annotates your code, and it puts the annotations right below it really a nice thing you don't get out of like markdown documentation. Yeah. So you can have very detailed listings and highlight things, um, you know, bold them or not, or what have you. You can also do colored ones, but usually with PDF, you tend to not uh, generate color. And so you would do black and white for these things um, just to make it a little more, you know, easy to look on the eyes and the yeah. printing. But I like, this it'd, be pretty, it'd be pretty yeah. cool if, if if all our like blog content or if you know someone starts their own blog but they're using ascii doc to create all the source material you could create the publish the html but you could also like take all your blog entries and create a pdf book out of them which is pretty neat exactly so if you're a content driven site and you can keep the content in a source markup style like this then you can transform it to a website you can transform it to whatever else you can use the you know um I'm always forgetting the name of the one. What's the what's the content generator site that people are using a lot these days? I forget the content. name. And like the one that uses JavaScript and React to do that. I can't remember the name of it anymore. It doesn't matter. Um, oh. I think what, what Drew Drew used a bit. Um, but anyway, this is me having okay. a moment. But not Prismic. <laughs> right? are... You're not you're talking about not Prismic, right? You're talking about no. like something like a Jekyll, but better. Yeah, yeah, something like that exactly. So you could take something like that, take this ASCII doc, transform it to HTML content, dump it out there uh, for a generated site. Um, and I would have better day if I had more sleep. But the point being, so that's one of the cool things. You can transform that that way and use different projects to transform to different output types. But wait, there's more. Some of the other things that you can do uh, is you can have these little admonitions like tips, warnings, questions. And there are like seven or eight of these and you can use, this is using, um, uh, a web font to uh, generate a nice icon for those things. And the code is really simple. If it's just a simple sentence, you can use, where's it on here? Note. So if it's one line, you can just use note by itself with a colon. Uh, and then whatever you have there just automatically comes in. That's up to, towards the top of this thing. There it is. 
Links are automatically formatted for you, so you don't have to think about that. Just put the link in line. Um, so that's an icon one. There's a question one down below. And that's like note or question or warning or whatever. You can make it multi-line, make a block out of it and have multiple lines so you have like a call out on your page. Really great are stuff. There, are, the, are the icons and things customizable? Uh, you can change the font you're using. So I think you probably could do some customization. Of that. Now, when you were when you were back into the source uh, source view, could have sworn I saw a dot notation markup in there for like graph. I'm glad you thought of that because that was part of my teaser here. Okay. ASCII doc has an ASCII doc. Uh, ASCII doctor has ASCII doctor diagram library that you can plug into this. So That's awesome. Oh, it's great. And there's a bunch of different formats, but dot is one of the formats. So and I have okay. that in assembly. So if wow. we go a little further along, yeah. Um, oh, also tables are really, uh, I don't have a good example here because uh -huh. I didn't align it right, but tables are nice and easy to work with. Mm -hmm. You can make tables look great and do highlighting and merge cells and stuff like that. Um, here's some more coding examples. And here are your dot. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm awake now. Right? Um, Drew Rogers uses this. Once I showed it to him, he uses this for all his documentation when he deals with uh, customers when they're putting together things like for run books and stuff like that. I believe yeah. he is still using that. But there's, there's okay. a dot like digraph, and there's a uh, uh, a hierarchical diagram, <clears throat> and they have a bunch of others out there. I used Docker, so it turns out that to build this, um, I was doing this by hand and installing all these libraries using Gem. I think it's a Ruby-based one now that I think of it. Um, using Gem and Gem uh, files, and I'm like, the heck with this noise. There's got to be a Docker container, and so they do have Docker containers, and so with my build tool. I am using the Docker container, ASCII Doctor. And so right there, Docker ASCII Doctor. And you can run it and it let it installs all the ASCII Doctor tools. And so I'm just running it and saying run the PDF generator. Um, install the plugin ASCII Doctor diagram during this build. Mm -hmm. I can pass it a build date or whatever I want as a variable, embed it in the headers, the titles, the footers, whatever I want. Didn't show mm -hmm. you that, but there's a whole header and footer system. And then, yes, I want a table of contents. It is a book format. So like one heading is the book title, two is the chapter title, and three on are the subheads. And then it will dump it out as a PDF and whatever you say is your minus D. So I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to put this up here as a GitHub project for people to clone uh, and let people know where it is. Uh, we'll do a tweet on the at TechCast uh, and also have it in the show notes. Let me talk cool. briefly also about slides with this because one of the problems I've had in the past is using different build tools for slides and different build tools for documents. Turns out that ASCII doctor can work with both. If you're building a slide deck, uh, you just use two and three dashes. So for example, we can say, let me see here, I'm not doing this right. Uh, So two would be a section header for your slides. Randomly grab a couple. I just grabbed a few slides for my training. Um, and you do things with bullets, right? Or numbered numbered sections and code mm -hmm. snippets. And you just have to be cognizant of the fact that you're working in a slide format. Yeah. So you don't put a whole document in there in a giant book, right? Because you're going to bore people to death. And for training, I'm more verbose than a lot of like presenters because they like to have like eight, an image and a nice rock on water and let's think about what I'm about to tell you in verbal form. But for training, you usually have code examples and lists. What um, what is when when you're doing slides? What is the output format? Reveal.js is the, is the okay. and there's also Slideo and um, uh, HTML5 slides and things like that. But I use Reveal.js a lot. So okay. 
what I did was in this project, I just made a copy of the Reveal.js project. Um, and I forgot what version I'm using, but there's specific versions that tie to specific ASCII doctor versions. I think it's 392, if I'm thinking correctly, of Reveal.js. This could be worth the price of admission right here because it's been a long time since I've used Reveal.js, and it's probably much better than it was when I used it years ago. But I know with styling and imaging, I had issue, with images, I had issues, and it was a pain to get it all looking the way I wanted it to. So I'm guessing now having this layer of abstraction over that may be really nice. So good that you mentioned this because so let me show you what I was doing to build it first. So this is, this is you can kind of follow that these are slides, right? Uh, and a slide has a certain number of bullets that fit on the slide. And yes, we can use, we can use our, you know, preview tool here and send it to the right. And, uh, so we can get a feel for that. Forget to get the sense of the right thing, of course. I'm going to get that wrong. Good enough. That works. Perfect. All right. So you have an include here. You can include files. So you can have a larger file include other files. And I, I have different settings files for slides versus the book. But for example, I have different settings like little macros for what I want to see for a listing for different language types. Okay. Um, I have little shortcuts for like, I want to use graph this, so output this. So these are like variables you can create and you can use them in line in your code. In my slide deck, here's an example of a shortcut for showing a JavaScript listing. So just the brackets normally, but instead of actually putting the stuff in line, I use curly braces around the name that I give it in the, in the preview file, in, in the settings file. So you can kind of lump these together and change them all at once. I'm a believer now, I knew I could convert you. <laughs> So let's look at how we built that. It's another Docker example with the same Docker image. And we're using ASCII Docker Reveal.js. We're pointing to where we dropped the file, which is the folder Reveal.js. And provided we have a compatible version of Reveal.js cloned, then when we do a build, ignore the images message. Um, now I can go into my reveal and I can do front uh, start, I'm sorry, NPM start. And there are my slides. Now, that is not my slides because that's index HTML. The one thing I haven't figured out yet and I don't care about is how to output as a specific file name. I'm sure it's a setting. But now I've got my two section thing. There's my two sections. It uses VI finger uh, shortcuts, you know, JKL and semicolon to move around the slides. This is reveal.js now. But, and I certainly didn't format this nicely. But you can see there's code snippets. It can look a lot nicer than this, um, like the cue balls and stuff. In fact, if you'll give me 30 seconds. What's capable, what's possible. Just with a little bit of styling with your own theme. Um, of course, this will take three weeks. I guess like the A, it has to be slides, right? Like that option, like it, the only thing that makes sense with re using dreveal.js is dash A slides, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because you're basically saying the format is a slide deck format. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll see how long it takes to do this. But the, the other thing I'll say is, uh, oh, here we go. Slide deck. 
So here's what we do in ours. We don't have fabulous looking slides. We're teaching people. We don't care about perfection. We care about technical uh, information. So you know, there's an example of a cue ball styled a little differently, or I, I should say an admonition styled differently. You know, having pieces of information in here. There's a table with a little bit of styling applied to it. Here are some code samples. There's a, still a styling issue with this particular version of this, this class. But you can have numbering in like a, like a, a border, thin line, and spacing. So that should be that. I'm not sure why it's not at the moment, but I, it's just a, giving you an example what's possible. Um, and, you know, so for example, you're going through and doing different commands. Yep, it looks like there's something wrong with a few of these slides, but I'm not too worried about it, just for a demo. Um, but there you go. So you can use ASCII Doctor and have it generate the slide format, but also with that same project, generate a book of the slides to print out for your, your customers. Right, so that's what I'm doing here, and using the Docker container like I would, was before. And when you get the PDF, it prints in a book format. So the slides are just separate sections in the book, just like they would be any other place. And now they've got a printed copy of the slides for taking notes. They don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be PDF generated. You could do it this way, or you could take Reveal.js and tell it to generate a PDF print, and have a visual slide that looks like the slide you're, you're actually presenting. Okay. So all that stuff from the ASCII doc file format and the ASCII doctor tool with Docker. So I figured that might be useful for people if, they're, if you've done anything where you had to do a lot of different types of documents, but you don't want to constantly have different formats for slides versus books, yeah. and you want to take mass advantage of what you can get accomplished with ASCII doctor, um, so, it's a nice tool set. Question, um, if I were writing blog posts for Chariot, our website, chariotsolutions.com, can I use this to write my blog post in first? You could, the only problem is the styling might be weird. So I okay. think we need to hack around a little bit, make sure that we have a, we have a transform that makes sense for it. So you may have to build like a, a customization of something, but I would okay. think it would be like the ASCII doctor HTML uh, converter. Mm -hmm. And then you may strip the formatting and have like Becca and I work with that to, to make it look nice, you know, okay. with different styles. So um, one thing I'll tell you is it is a little cryptic sometimes to work with, like the goofiest part of it is with, with your code samples, many times if you want to annotate a code sample, the stars work to bold things, but you can imagine the language like Scala or Angular's templating language, asterisks get involved and things get screwy. So there's like a, a pass command to say bracketed areas are completely passed as is, don't format them on me. So it can get a little weird for that and for the cue ball alignment, but you can do things in this you can't do in markup. So. Gotcha. All right, yeah, so like I said, we'll put a post to uh, where that is in the show notes. You'll see the GitHub project for it, and I'll clean up a little bit more before I do that today. But hopefully that's been useful for people, so. That's awesome. And that's, yeah, so that should do it for the, for the week. So um, if you have any feedback, please send us uh, feedback by tweeting to at TechCast or sending us email at techcastfeedback at chariotsolutions.com. And we really appreciate you spending your time with us today. So for the uh, Tech Chat Tuesday, I'm Ken Rimple. Sujan Kapadia. Make it a good week. Take care, folks.